0: Hey, my name's Cam Phillips, Uh, I live here in London, and I'm really passionate about seeing Christians across the world uh, practice justice in their local context and also internationally. Um, And one of the ways that I'm really passionate about seeing Christians do justice is through the act of creation care. And so this is something I'm really passionate about. Um, I studied environmental studies uh, at Redeemer University College in Hamilton, Ontario. And actually, one of my first jobs uh, coming out of school was working for a Christian environmental organization called Arasha Canada, uh, mobilizing churches to get involved in creation care, get involved in conservation science, get involved in outdoor education. And yeah, it's an area I'm really passionate about. Yeah, so, I guess I'm passionate about creation care, and really, as Christians, we should be pas- passionate about creation care. It's because it's been our mandate since Genesis 1. I mean, the first humans, Adam and Eve, God laid out the command to take care of and steward until the earth, to be fruitful and to work the earth, but also to pr- protect it. Um, and we see that command rolling all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And really, our call as Jesus followers now is to take part in the kingdom of God, to take part in God's uh, healing and restoring of the world. Um, and so creation care, caring caring for our earth, I mean, it can be so different for, for everyone. Everyone is at different stages with this. Um, for myself, uh, when I was a bit younger, I decided to change how I was gonna eat. Um, so I started to pay more attention to where food I was eating was coming from. I actually started, I was a vegetarian and then Uh, Currently practice a vegan diet just because of the effects it has on the earth Um, But yeah, everyone has a different calling in this Um, I know one of the values of praxis is to live simply and that has great implications for uh, our environment for our climate and for creation itself Um, And I think it's really important to remember that uh, Caring for creation to caring for this earth um, is really an act of worship. It's not um, some sort of political command from the left or the right, but it's really it's it's part of worshiping God. It's being up. It, it's part of being caught up in uh, the kingdom of God to be caught up in this work of healing and restoring the world with Jesus. So, some of the things that I'm learning uh, about caring for our earth. For creation is paying attention to more voices just outside of our uh, Western evangelical uh, circles, let's say. Um, so a few years ago, my wife and I had an opportunity to take part in a YWAM school in downtown Winnipeg, where we were exposed to lots of First Nations culture, First Nations theology. Uh, we had an opportunity to spend some time in Assiniboine Park with a uh, First Nations man who is also Christian. And we talked a lot about giving thanks to God, our creator. Um, We actually had the opportunity to walk through the park and um, sort of spread out tobacco leaves as a a means of thanks to the creator, um, which is a a First Nations indigenous tradition here in Canada. Um, And I just, I always, I don't think I will ever forget that. Just that active way of just being in creation and giving thanks to God. And I think that's... That posture of starting in gratitude, starting in worship, is what leads us to action.
1: So good. And I really appreciate Cam, just his heart in the whole thing, as far as that this doesn't need to be like a left and a right thing, that we can actually come to this I think with our minds and our hearts and our imaginations open, I did not realize, because I'm really naive, I did not realize that this is actually, this is a hot political thing right now. So much so that even this week, uh, so here's an example, and we don't do this often, but every once in a while, we will just do a little social media promotion on some of the things that we're talking about, just to get the word out. We don't spend a lot of money on it, but every once in a while we'll uh, invest in that a little, just to let people know we're here and some of the things we're wrestling through. And so this was one of those weeks that we wanted to do that, was just put a little ad out just to show people we're talking about climate change and creation care. And uh, so we put the ad up, and it wasn't approved. It wasn't approved. Because if you want to even talk about these things now on social media, you've got to go through like extra screening so that they make sure that you're not fake news. And obviously it wasn't worth my time enough to go deeper with that. I don't really care that. We don't care that much. But it was just interesting to me that we couldn't even promote an ad that said creation care in it. All it said is, join us as we talk about a theology of creation care, and Mark Zuckerberg wouldn't even let us talk about that. Isn't that crazy? And it shows you, just my mind and imagination have been open to the reality that this is, this is hot for a lot of people. This is hot for a lot of people. And so you may be in this room, and as we talk about this, you may think at points this morning, you hippie liberal, right? You be talking about this kind of thing in the church. I don't think there's really anybody here like that, but I'll just say, not at all. This is not coming from left and right politics. If you knew me, if we were, like, good friends, you would know that I'm terrible with politics, horrible with politics. Um, I'm not left or right, and it's just funny in this whole thing, I would be a really bad politician because I just don't know how to tiptoe party lines at all. So this is more coming from the posture and reality of what do the scriptures say. Others of you may, and I know this is probably more where our community is at, you may feel the tension at times that you're not saying enough, right? So here's what I'm not going to do this morning, and there was the temptation to do this, is to share stats. There's not going to be one stat this morning, okay? Nod your head with me and not that because there couldn't be stats, there are stats, but i got into the catacombs of a facebook fight on uh, on facebook this week over this very issue and it was insane. Can can i just can we just all agree that we're living in an insane moment right now? So i do the gnarly thing of reading the comment section, right? Have you ever done that? The sloth of the comment section. And it was so funny because you know what it turned into? A link war. Stat. Stat. A firmer in climate change. A denier. Back and forth, back and forth. If you want that this morning, you're probably going to be a little disappointed because that is also not the route we're going to take. What I want to do is just look at a theology of the creation and humans in creation and what this could actually mean for us today because there is a theology behind this. You with me? So with this in mind, open up your Bibles, turn them on to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we'll start. You're like, oh, starting there, are we? It's going to be a long morning. I promise it won't be. Genesis chapter 1, our creation account. This is what it says, verse 26. Then Yahweh, God said... Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you, humans... Every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for you, and it was so, somebody playing Mario Kart? That's amazing. That sounded like uh, getting the coin. in uh, uh, No judgment here. Just brought me back to Super Mario. Is anybody with me? Super Mario, we need to bring that back. I think it's coming back. All right, a few things from this. Very clear. So, remember, the creation account, one of the things we should come around it, no matter how you want to come around it, is that God is bringing function and order, right? He's, bring, he's giving humans this function. And it's so often missed a few things, especially in our moment. One... Humans were created in the image of God. You and I were created in the image of God. Now, you hear that a lot here, so that may not feel, that may not feel weighty. But I just want to remind you that instead of being at odds with the gods, like all the other creation accounts of its time that humans, and by the way, for it to be in Genesis 1, male and female was like, in that moment, your mind would have been blown to read this. We live in an an egalitarian society. We have some amazing things. I have an 11-year-old daughter. She's going to change the world. She's going to go to Western. We already have a plan for her. It sounds really bad. She's going to go to Western. She's going to marry a great guy here. I'm just kidding. You're just like, what are you doing? But I I just think of the world that she is living in. It's beautiful for her. She can do what she wants. It's beautiful. But the weight of Male and female in this context is like anti-anything else you see in this moment. God was future forward with humans, male and female, bearing his image. But the other thing is this. Humans were created to rule. Humans were created to rule the creation with God. And this is the thing that we have kind of lost in our moment. This is the thing that we don't talk about a lot. We talk about sinners being saved and getting into heaven, which, yeah, hopefully, amazing, yes, that's one of the reasons why we're here. We want to invite everybody to come into this reconciling relationship with God through Jesus, but we've often lost the reality that humans, you and I, as we see in proto-human here in the story, were created to rule with God in this moment. It's crazy to me. It's the overplayed illustration, but I, and I'll say it one more time, but when I was reading The Magician's Nephew, C.S. Lewis' first book in his great series called The Chronicles of Narnia, there's this moment where I was reading with Ava, and we were reading together, she was really little, and we're reading, and all of a sudden, Aslan, out of nowhere, makes the London cab driver and his wife, like basically nobody's in the story, the king and queen of Narnia. And I remember when this happened, she just looked at me and her little, whatever it was, four or five-year-old brain was like blown at the, how could not even major players in the story all of a sudden be the king and queen? This is actually a picture of the story that we get. Humans were created to rule with God. And then humans were created to multiply and fill the earth. There's this cultural mandate for humans to go into all the earth and to spread out and to reflect and to reveal what the God is like. Because we're image bearers, we go into the world. Just like my kids have little hints of my DNA in them, now we have this DNA of God that we're to now uh, reflect his love and his light into the world. It's a beautiful story, and if, you're, and if you've been around the story at all, you know that this story unravels very, very quickly. Sin separates us from God, sends things into a spiral. The entire creation and cosmos is bent and broken. But here's the thing. You cannot disconnect following God and caring for creation. You cannot, you, we cannot disconnect following God and caring for the creation. So often in our moment, that's what we want to do. We want to oh, I'm a Jesus follower or I'm an evangelical or whatever that means and have often anti-views to the flourishing of God's creation. And I'm just here to tell you this is not a political left or right thing. That's just not how it works. That's not how the story works. So sin doesn't just fracture us in this story from our relationship with God, it fractures our call to steward the planet. And you see this all over the place. You see this in the story because human relationships are bent and broken. Just read the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which I just did with Ava. We've moved from Chronicles of Narnia to the Bible, and you realize the story is crazy of brothers killing each other, all sorts of horrible things happening. And now we live in a moment where it feels like there are some alarming things when it comes to how humans have misstewarded the planet to where we are today. I want to be sensitive about this, but for most of us, most of us in this room, are Western people, middle class. There's not many of us that are looking for our next meal. This afternoon, I will turn on Red Zone and watch football. TFC is playing at 2 o'clock. It's going to be amazing. And then I'm going to have some friends over. The Hawks are playing, the Leafs. It's going to be an amazing day. I have all of these benefits where I get like the afternoon off just to kind of chill in my kind of middle class life. But here's the thing, the alarming things that seem to be happening on our planet are most affecting those in the poorest countries and poorest parts of the world. And we need to really grapple with this, because a lot of times we talk about creation care and the moment that we're in. Again, set left and right aside, it's typically, it's not us that are being affected in this moment. We live near some of the best and most expansive fresh water in the world. We have some of the best climate. I hate winter. Is anybody with me? Does anybody? Some of you guys like winter. I hate winter, okay? I just want to come clean. I hate it. But every time it gets cold like this, I'm reminded that this part of the world in which we live, the cycle and system here, the winter and what we experience is actually good for us because we don't experience uh, what other climates do around the world. And we just have to grapple with what's happening around the world and some of the climate things, we may go, oh, whatever, and not realize that it's not affecting us as much as our brothers and sisters in some of the poorest parts around the world, right? And so we need to grapple with that, that we are called, as humans, the whole story is to be in relationship with God, but there was this stewarding element where humans were created to have this cultural mandate, to fill the earth to do this, and to care for the creation, and I think we should really listen to this and lean into this idea. So Romans 8 would say this, it's interesting, Paul, the theology guy You know, his his letters are super weighty. He lays out a lot of the theology that we've picked up now a couple thousand years later. He puts it like this. This is crazy. Romans 8. We think of Romans as a very weighty theological letter. This is what he says. He says, we know that the whole creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What I think Paul is saying here is since the cosmos have been fractured with sin and injustice, the earth is groaning like childbearing pains. Anybody been there? Anybody been at the birth of a child? I've been there four times. Trust me, there's some moments. You with me? Where are all the ladies that have had kids? Are you with me? Nobody's, okay, I, I was there, it was pretty amazing. The earth, the cosmos, the the whole creation, not just humans, but the whole creation is groaning. He goes on, verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, so Paul is even saying, us who are Christians, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all, Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Amazing here that Paul is saying that the whole creation groans to be redeemed. The whole creation is longing, humans included, for redemption to come in totality. Now, what's crazy about this is that when the scriptures talk about salvation, they talk about salvation as healing. A lot of people don't know this, but in the New Testament, The Greek word for salvation and the Greek word for healing are the same thing. So when we think of salvation, oftentimes what we need to do is frame in our mind healing. And what's crazy is that when it talks about salvation, so much of our Western ideas around the church and God want to look at humans how do humans be saved, you know? Like, how do, how do we get to this road of redemption? How are humans saved from their sin? And that's vital and that's important, but it's interesting that salvation wasn't just for a human thing. It wasn't just a human thing. You feel it here that salvation was for the entire cosmos. For us as humans, you're gonna, we read it here, our bodies, right? So we don't buy into this disembodied kind of way of living. We believe, Christians have always believed that the body is really important. And we believe our planet will be saved. And the problem is, in the Western world, we've tended to disconnect these things, the planet from our bodies and our souls. And it's all-encompassing. Paul says here that we're, we're eagerly waiting. What's interesting is Paul says in here, we're eagerly waiting our adoption. Which is kind of odd, isn't it? Think about it for a second. Doesn't Ephesians already say that we're adopted? Does it not? You open up Ephesians 1 and you read what Paul says, and he's going, oh, he's hammering away for the church in Ephesus that you are adopted people. And now he says in another letter, pretty well at the same time, that we're waiting for our adoption. So, what is it? Are we adopted? Or are we waiting for our adoption? The answer is yes. Just like with a lot of Paul's stuff. The answer is yes. We're saved. We've been healed, but we're waiting for that future total full consummation, full healing. And this is physical. Paul says it here. He's not just talking about a disembodied soul that needs to be saved for heaven when you die. Paul connects the redemption of creation to the redemption of Jesus' followers. Craziness. And I think what Paul is saying here to the Christians is that you've received the hope of Jesus, but we also wait patiently for the final hope. And that final hope is not just completely renewed souls, it's a renewed creation. The creation will groan no more. The hope is, in this entire story, is that no longer will there be this groaning or longing, but the entire cosmos will be reconciled, our bodies, our souls, and all of creation. And this is the good news. And so what we need to do is we need to lean into the tension a little bit of caring for, and being protectors of our planet, being these people in the present that embody this, and understanding that we cannot do this on our own. Right? We live in the tension just like with social justice. And Heather and I are very passionate about social, some of the social issues and justice issues in our moment, and we give to these things and volunteer to these things, and they're dear to our heart, but we also do these things with the reality knowing that we can't, we can't just give all our money and do all our things and make everything right, that there's a longing and a leaning in to that the king of the universe comes, we join with him, and he will bring complete re- redemption. And I'll just say this, it's exactly the same for creation care and the planet, Right? We do everything we can right now, in the here and now, and we live in the tension of caring and protecting our planet, and we also live in the tension that there will be a day where we lean into the good king who will usher in his kingdom and will repair this world. There's a deep connection, actually, to eschatology and ecology. Why? Because we believe God is not burning this planet up. Can somebody just give me an amen? Just, I know you're, come on, somebody, amen? Okay, maybe you believe that, but I'll try and convince you otherwise. God is not throwing this planet out. This planet is not going to burn. God is going to come and renew and bring heaven to earth and renew this place. And so our eschatology, what we believe, that key point that we believe about the end, also fits into our ecology. Because we're conscious and we care for the planet, And we're doing in the present when we care for the planet what we will do forever. And that's co-ruling and stewarding with God and co-ruling this creation with God. What we do when we care for the planet now is proto-human did this in the beginning with God, cultivating the garden, Things messed up. Now, we as people who care for our moment right now are actually living in the present what we will do in the future. I don't know if you know this, but you're not going to be like the Philadelphia cream cheese lady floating on a cloud somewhere. The new earth is very physical, and I think Madonna probably got it right when she says it's a material world. We're going to live in a material world, and we're going to cultivate and create with the living God. And I can't say it enough that our ecology actually hems and comes together with our eschatology because Jesus is bringing his kingdom here. Imagine with me, so a lot of people, sometimes you don't like this idea because you think of the city where you live or the world in which we live, and you think of injustice and pain and all the things that we see around us, but imagine this great city that I love, maybe not everybody loves, I love, we love this city, we love this city. Now imagine this beautiful city renewed completely made new, drawn together in God's love and grace. The things we don't love about the city are going to be renewed. And so there's, here's the thing. When it comes to ecology, and when it comes to creation care, as Jesus followers, we probably have a better story than I just want a better life and a better planet for my kids and my grandkids. And that's reality. Um, Many of us, that's our story. Many of us, that's what we feel. Many of us say things like, "I, I want a better life for my kids and my grandkids and the people that will come after us. Do we want that? Is that a good thing? Absolutely. There's obviously, of course. But as Christians, I just want to remind us that we have a bigger story at hand. As Christians, it's more than I'm just going to leave a better planet for my kids. As Christians, we are caught up in this worldview that we've been created to cultivate and steward God's good world. And we'll do this forever. And so, man, I want to leave a great planet for our, our kids and our grandkids. And I think we're called to do that. But the, the deeper the deeper story at play is we're gonna, this is what we're going to do forever. We're going to co-rule with God. And so let's do in the present what we believe we're going to do in the future. So that's the theology of it. Uh, we've got some resources. Cam put some resources together. This is a new world for me. We will pump this out on some of our social Uh, media platforms and so that you can see if you want to engage in this in a deeper way. I think we need to think deeply about these things and I think we need to do it in a way that's not partisan politics. The reality is we're image bearers. We were called to create. Proto-human was called to create in the beginning and we need to think through how we do that in our moment. Now, what I love about our church and our church community is this. We barely have a carbon footprint. I love it. Because we use rented space like this. We're not burning fossil fuels to kind of heat our own building. We're not doing certain things. Uh, Using rented space, we don't do, as you know, we don't do a lot of printing here. Um, We try and use uh, social media outlets and email and things like that. We're trying our best to steward and cultivate in this moment what it could be like to be a church that takes very, very seriously this idea of caring for creation. And I'm really proud of that. I'm I'm excited about how we can join with other things in the city to do what we do and think through this in a deeper way. And here's what I want to do just to end before we come to the table, is just talk about a few ways to care for our planet in this moment. And listen, you could Google this and you could come up, I would imagine if you Google this would be like the 20 top things that you can do practically to help the planet. And that's great. I wanna talk about it for a couple of minutes more in light of us being Jesus followers. So the, the difference is we're caught up in more of a grand story of what God's doing in the world and how we treat the planet and what we do with our resources and our stuff. Uh, we believe affects the planet in a way that points to God's kingdom. You with me? So there's a little bit of a difference. as people who follow Jesus uh, compared to my neighbors or some of the people around me that are really passionate about this. There's just a few things. This is not rocket science. This is not, like, mind-blowing. But a few things I think we could think through as a community. It's okay? You all right? Man, quiet. Quiet. It's all good. It's all good. Here's one. I think one of the things we need to do is live in in an awareness of how we consume. So as Jesus followers, we just need to think through, and there's no guilt here. I loved even how Cam articulated things. There's no guilt here. There's no pushing on you. You should do this and do that. But there should be an ultimate awareness of how we consume. So fast fashion, if you don't know, um, in many ways is killing the planet. And it's very, very harmful, especially in uh, situations and places where people are creating the fast fashion it's if you and even even if you go on Netflix there's documentaries there on some of the uh, ecological kind of effects of the fast fashion industry we've i've had to think through this one of the things we've had to sit down heather and i is We need us to start thinking, especially as we get to the second half of life, how we spend and what we do with our stuff, around clothing. Should we have less pieces of clothing that would cost more instead of engaging in fast fashion all the time? To the way we eat. Cam talked here. He researched, nobody's pushing this on anybody. I eat meat and I kinda like eating meat, is anybody with me? But here's a guy who consciously made a decision to understand some of the, the climate effects that happens uh, from eating meat and has wrestled through that. I think that's uh, amazing. For me, it's been two things that has, uh, as I think about um, just the awareness of consumption. Uh, coffee and Christmas for us. So one, I have a mild addiction, it's probably not that mild, and it's to this thing we call coffee. And I was even going through uh, how much I spend on coffee a month, and it's ridiculous. Nobody should ever spend this much on coffee. But I realized that as I'm out and about and hanging with people and and studying, whatever I'm doing for work and uh, play or whatever, having coffee, I realized that even if I just go mug, what I could do to help the planet in, that, in, in my own rhythm of life, is actually significant. Now I have a paper cup here this morning, but that was just one thing. over the last number of months I've been realizing this one little thing, if I, if I change this one little habit, it could actually, over time, bring difference. For us as well, in this idea of just thinking through uh, what we consume, we've been thinking deeply about Christmas. Um, and you know this if you're a parent, we just tended to give and receive from other people for our kids tons of plastic stuff at Christmas that you don't even know existed 25 days later. Is anybody with me? This is just free therapy for me if not. But we just realized, like, over time, people were giving us, I'm just gonna say it, crap that didn't cost that much that just went into a landfill after 20 days. It's So funny, I'll ask people like a month after Christmas, so what did you get for Christmas? And it's so funny, our obsession with Christmas and usually after 30 days, we can't even articulate what we just got. And so for us as a family, we've really trying to put it out there. That we, you know, there's probably better ways in which we can steward some of these seasons and some of these things. Just being conscious and aware from fast fashion to what we eat in the West to coffee and Christmas. But I'll just say this, Uh, practical ways, is this just fits in line with living simply. I mean, we've been calling people to do this for the last number of months in a new and I think really fresh way of just all of us doing an audit with our lives. I'm not hippie. I'm not, we're not left-wingist. We're not any, just this reality that when you read, when you read through the Gospels and you read through the life of Jesus And now you begin to see some of the consequences on our our planet just living simply. I don't know what that looks like for you. It looks like probably different things for all of us. But we've been calling our community over the last little while just to think through how we steward our stuff, what we give to, how much we consume, what we do with our time and our energy. Living simply is really important. And so, one of the things I feel like we've been doing more is strategizing as a family, Christmas included in how we can we can do this and again I'm super thrilled that for Praxis we have very little carbon footprint because of how simply we're trying to do things and I'm thrilled for that Uh, this kind of eco-friendly community for the most part and then the final thing is just this this is the counterintuitive way of uh, stewarding the planet now that people aren't thinking through and it's just this this third thing is sabbath can you throw it up is that okay just sabbath this is huge Um, many of us read A.J. Swoboda's book in the summer when we were talking about Sabbath. I know I heard from a number of people that were just wrestling through it. So good. And here's the thing that stuck out to me with this particular book, the chapter on Sabbath and ecology. He just begins to talk in this about how when we Sabbath, if we all took God's command very, very seriously, you're not under law to do it, but if we took God's command seriously to Sabbath, It would change the planet. you got to remember, there's like, I don't know how many. Like, we can't tell everybody who gives their allegiance to Jesus. But there's a lot of Jesus followers on this planet. And if we took one out of seven days to Sabbath, the cause it would have for the good on our planet would be mind-blowing. So, you know, Sabbath, giving technology, turning our phones off for a 24-hour period. Not buying goods for a 24-hour period. Not traveling. You know, right now we're in a, in a moment and I'm very involved in the hockey community. Sports and entertainment is non-stop. It doesn't stop. It's go, go, go. But what if, what if we gave sports and entertainment our animals? Not my animals because I don't have animals. Your animals. The earth, the consequences on the earth, if we just rested one day a week where we t- took time to rest and worship, the overflow of that, if all Christians did that, would be significant for the planet. The question is, what if everything was given a rest once a week? It's just illuminated my imagination to I think God was on to something. And you actually read the laws around Israel and Sabbath. Uh, slaves, and I know it's a different moment, were given rest. Animals, the ground wasn't tilled. It was given a rest. And I think we're in a moment where there's absolutely from the ground level in culture in our society, no rest and no wonder, not only are people burning out, but no wonder we're probably killing the planet. Because there's no, there's no, there's no sila, there's no, there's no moment and time where things settle. And I think, man, what if we lived it out where we Sabbathed well, what that would do, all right? So the story starts in a garden. The creation is groaning as the cosmos have been torn apart by sin and injustice. And the whole story ends in a renewed city. And I just want us to keep this in mind. The connection between the end, eschatology, and we believe Jesus bringing heaven to earth has huge implications on our ecology now. I don't have it all cased, I'm not an expert with this, I'm a pastor, but I just wonder if some of our practices could help along the way as we join in in stewarding God's good creation with with the whole goal of doing that with him forever. And I can't do it all, and you can't do it all. Not, not every little practice is gonna change the world like at a global level, but if we could just start right here and right now, it's these little practices of joining in with God and stewarding his creation to say, Jesus, you're gonna come, you're gonna return. You're gonna do and renew the things that I can't do. You're gonna do the things that you've promised you'll do, and we will live and rule with you forever. And my fear is, as I talk to a lot of people, is somehow we disconnect our life with God from how we steward these things. And I think any good reader of Genesis 1 would go, this is the whole package. Life with God and ruling with him.